Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. wasn't too long ago that our student pastor, Ethan Smith, preached that text, that verse from John's gospel, reminding us what was finished, what was accomplished, that God's glory was upheld and the salvation of sinners who trust in Jesus was accomplished. And that's why we have reason to worship this morning. That's why we have reason to sing and to have joy is because of the good news of the gospel. Uh, because God sent His Son to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And uh, if you are feeling lost and lonely and alienated from God, uh, I want you to know there's a way, there's a remedy to that. And the remedy is Jesus Christ. And, and this hope, this message of the gospel is something uh, that's been given to churches. It's been given to the church at Philippi. And we're going to dive in uh, to Philippians chapter 1. We'll read verses 27 through 30, uh, and I, I started writing this week, and I was like, man, this is getting really long, and so I cut it in half. We're actually only going to look at verse 27 this morning. When we, when we dive in to this text, um, Paul has told us about himself. He's been using himself as an example to the church at Philippi because he's in prison And the church at Philippi is facing some adversity. They're facing some hard times, and Paul's familiar with hard times. And though he's in prison, he continues to advance and to advocate the gospel. And he sees the church edified by this and encouraged by this. And he sees uh, the Roman Praetorian Guard, coming, some of them coming to faith. And he sees some in the church going out and preaching, but from bad motives. And so he knows what it's like to to be undercut and, and undermined. And so he, he's taking his own situation, reflecting on it, to build a foundation from which he can instruct the church at Philippi later. And then in verse 27, Paul transitions from using himself as an example to now commanding the church at Philippi. These aren't suggestions, they're actually commands, they're in the imperative mood or voice. These are commands to the church at Philippi to live out the gospel-focused Christian life. And Paul's emphasis from now, beginning in verse 27, all the way to verse 18 of chapter 2, is going to be walking worthy of the gospel. It's going to be prizing the advance of the gospel in the face of trials and pursuing Christ-like unity in the church. All these things we will see are a part of walking worthy of the gospel. Now what does it mean to be walking worthy of the gospel or living worthy of the gospel. There's a strong implication to that, right? The implication is we don't just believe in Jesus mentally, but that belief in Jesus means there's something radically different about us, that our quality of life has changed, that who we are has changed. And because we've been changed and converted and given new hearts by the Spirit, united with Christ, we are to live differently because we have a different citizenship. We have a new home, a new destiny, a new eternity. So over the next few Sundays, we're going to look at what Paul says about how the local church must live out her heavenly citizenship. 
All right? And today we're going to look at verse 27, but again, I'm going to read down through verse 30 because in, in the Greek, this is one really big sentence. It's, one, it's, it's another sentence by Paul. Thank you, Paul, for writing really long sentences. But the, the, the gist of it, the, the command is in verse 27. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? Paul writes this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. Would you pray with me? God, we ask this morning that we would be reminded of our citizenship in Christ, and Lord, that you would Give us the, the desire and the will and the strength to walk worthy of your gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to show you three things from verse 27. And the first is this. We are commanded to live as citizens of heaven. We're committed to walk and live out our citizenship. The, the command, the word there, doesn't just mean to live. It's, it's a term of citizenship, to conduct yourself as a citizen. So we've got to live as citizens of heaven, living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It's a command from God that believers live out their citizenship in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. After Paul expresses his hope and expectation that one day he'd be able to return to Philippi in the future, he transitions back to the present with the word, do you see it in verse 27, the word only. The word only has been translated in a, in a variety of ways. Uh, it means something like whatever happens, regardless of whether I get to Philippi or not, or no matter what, or in the meantime, just one thing. Now, when somebody says just one thing, that gets your attention, right? Like, of all the things, here's one thing. That's kind of what Paul's saying. All right, I've given you background. I've told you about myself in prison. I'm laying a foundation that you're going to learn from later. But for right now, as you're reading, reading this letter, one thing. Conduct yourselves as citizens living worthy of the gospel. Whether Paul is present or not, there's one thing that must characterize the Philippian church. Either way, whether Paul gets to Philippi personally or whether he sends Timothy and then gets a report back on how things are going while he's still in prison, Paul expects to hear how things are going. This is not a letter that's going to be sent and then he doesn't care about the result. He cares what's happening in Philippi and he wants to hear that they are conducting themselves as citizens. Citizens of what? Not of Rome, but of heaven, living worthy of the gospel. Paul's priority here is a continual command. He doesn't say, on Sundays, conduct yourselves as citizens of heaven. He doesn't say, on Wednesday evenings, conduct yourselves as citizens of heaven. He says, keep on conducting yourselves 
as citizens who live worthy of the gospel. Now, remember the context. Philippi is a proud Roman colony. And there's apparently a growing tension between their Roman citizenship and their heavenly citizenship. And what does Paul say? When these two things conflict, when they rub against one another, you must give your heavenly citizenship your full attention and devotion. The the pull of the world on the church to compromise the absolute lordship of Jesus in order to be accepted and popular and pain-free, was as real in the first century as it is in the 21st century. So Paul reminds them that their mission is not to be popular, but to be faithful. Their mission is not to be accepted in Rome. Their mission is to live out the freedom and the joy and the reality that they've been accepted by a holy God through faith in His Son. So when the demands of our earthly citizenship conflict, conflict with our heavenly citizenship, when, it, when what it takes to be accepted and celebrated in society is contrary to what is required of Christ's servants, what do we do? We keep living out our heavenly citizenship by living worthy of the gospel. Now, It's important that we note that it says to live worthy. It doesn't say that we are worthy. None of us was worthy of the gospel. None of us deserve for Christ to take our place. None of us can look to the cross and say, man, God owed me that. He owed us nothing. But now that he's given us everything and he's changed us on the inside, we live worthy. We live as a reflection. We live in a way that demonstrates the truth of what God has done in us. That He's really changed us and given us new priorities and desires and ambitions for the glory of God no matter what it costs us. That's what it is to live worthy of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not merely a set of beliefs that, that God came that he sent his son, that his son is God, and that God left the glory of heaven for the, to become a man, and not just to become a man, but to die, not just to die any death, but to die the death of a cross, so that he could save sinners and restore and reconcile us to God, and on the third day, just as the Old Testament promised, that he'd be raised from the dead, and that he would be ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now he is saving all who come to him by faith and repentance, those who turn from their sin and believe. It's this miracle that God will change you from the inside through faith in His Son who did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And He's coming back for all who trust in Him. He's going to make the world new. There's going to be a day when there's no more war, there's no more rumors of war. There's going to be peace on earth because God and man will be united and restored. That's the gospel. But the gospel is not just a set of ideas or beliefs. It is also the power of God unto salvation. God changes us in the hearing of the gospel. You are not a part of the church because you attend a church. That doesn't make you a part of the church. You're not a part of the church even necessarily because you're on the membership roll. Right? There's going to be some people who have their names on a, a membership role that when, when the role is called up yonder, they're not going to be there. Because they, they gave their tithes, they looked good on the outside, but they were never changed at the root of their lives. 
You're only a part of the church, the true church of God, if God has changed you in the hearing of the gospel. To be born a Roman citizen was a big deal. But no earthly citizenship can rival the citizenship that God bestows on us, that He gives us when we are born again by the Holy Spirit who unites us with Jesus and gives us new hearts and empowers us to live like Christ in the world. When God saves people, He saves them into His church. He gives them a new citizenship with new responsibilities and a new power and a new ambition to live for Jesus by living in a way that is worthy of the gospel. It is the gospel, the good news that God uses to birth us into his kingdom. And it is the gospel that fuels us and guides us and motivates us as citizens living in his kingdom. To live as citizens worthy of the gospel means the gospel defines who we are and what we long for. The gospel is our birth certificate and it's our constitution. We get in by the gospel and we are fueled and motivated and animated by the gospel. It is what we long for. It is why we live. It is our one thing. And this mentality should should be true for the Philippians, whether Paul is there or not. They shouldn't have to have Paul to be around for this to be true for them. It's not Paul who changed their hearts. Paul was there when the church was founded. God worked through Paul for their hearts to be changed. But who changed them? No pastor or preacher can change your heart. Only the Spirit of God and the hearing of the gospel can change your heart. So whether Paul's there or he's not there, what does Paul want to hear? He wants to hear that your one thing is the gospel of Christ and that you're conducting yourself in a way that is worthy of it. So, listen, I know what it's like to have spiritual heroes. I had a spiritual hero. He lived to 105 years old. I got to know this man deeply. He pastored for 75 years, and and he is now with Jesus. He's not here anymore to mentor me. I had a spiritual mentor in Raleigh, and I came here in 2015 and was so excited, and I'm still excited, by the way, but I was so excited to be here and be able to serve God in the role as as your pastor, and uh, this is a mentor to me. We did coffee frequently, and, and he passed away. He tragically got, got a form of cancer, and God took him very, very quickly. And listen, whether my, whether my spiritual heroes are around or not, my one thing should be, must be the gospel, and the same should be true for you. Whoever your favorite pastor was, whoever your favorite mentor, your, your grandmother, your mom, whoever it was that spurred you on to love and good deeds and reminded you that it's all about the gospel, to be a champion for the gospel. If they're not here anymore, you're still a citizen of the kingdom and you've been changed by the king, you've been given life in him, and you are to live worthy of the gospel. Whether Paul's here, Daniel's here, Pastor Daryl is here, whoever it was in your life, the gospel and its commands upon you don't cease just because somebody you love is no longer available. As Silva writes, Paul's presence did not justify, or his lack of presence did not justify a relaxing of their Christian obligations. We don't lose our responsibilities in God's kingdom when our spiritual heroes are no longer around. If you stop being faithful because your special grandparent or your neighbor or your spiritual mentor is no longer around, that should be a warning sign that maybe your motivation was something other than the gospel. When our heroes die or are in prison hundreds of miles away, we still have Jesus 
and we have one another. And in Philippi, they had elders to lead them to keep on living for King Jesus no matter where Paul was. And in the rest of verse 27, he gives us two ways to live worthy of the gospel. Now, we're going to get ways to live worthy of the gospel really from now all the way to verse 18 of chapter 2. But he hits us in the, in the rest of verse 27 with two big umbrella ideas of what does it mean to live worthy of the gospel? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? How do I conduct myself as a citizen? What does that mean? Y'all ready for it? The second part of verse 27, we see that to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, we must stand firm together in the one Holy Spirit. To live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, we must stand firm together in the one Holy Spirit. Paul says he wants to hear that the Philippians are, do you see it? That you are standing firm in one spirit. Now there's some commentators and scholars that that think that this means that they're supposed to just have an esprit de corps or camaraderie or a good vibe in the room on Sunday morning. That's not what he's talking about. The one spirit here is the Holy Spirit. Whenever Paul says in the Spirit, he's talking about by the means of the Spirit, the instrumentality of the Spirit. There's nowhere in Paul where he says in the Spirit that he's talking about the human spirit or a collective spirit of our spirits. He's talking about the one Spirit. How many Holy Spirits are there? There's one. How many truths does the Holy Spirit give us? He gives one truth. And so if you think the Spirit says one thing and I think the Spirit says one thing, we need to continue to have a conversation because one of us is wrong. Does that make sense? In the one spirit, for the one gospel, for the one king, y'all stand together, stand firm in one spirit. You know, I got to tell you, good vibes aren't enough to keep the church standing together and standing firm in God's mission on a good day, much less when there's opposition that comes. We need the spirit of God to be that which unites us. And tragically, there's, there's some so-called churches in our day that aren't standing firm in the Holy Spirit. Instead, they're sliding away from faithfulness to God. They're not holding the line. They're not standing firm because they're not united in the Spirit of God. They're united in the Spirit of this age. A spirit which rejects absolute truth and says, if it makes you happy, God surely must approve it because He wants your happiness. God wants your holiness long before He wants your happiness. You won't truly be happy in the eternal sense unless you are pursuing the God who is holy. Make no mistake, the the world wants us to be united in the spirit of the age rather than than in the spirit of God. Paul gets this. He recognizes the constant pull on the church to compromise in order to be comfortable. Man, if we would just if we would just change our theology a little bit over here, then we'd be accepted over there. They wouldn't make fun of us anymore. If we just change our, modify our theology a little bit on this, then we'd be accepted over there. That's not what the Spirit is leading us to do. The Spirit leads us to hold the line, to stand firm. You cannot live worthy of the gospel if you keep sliding back on what the Bible says. You can't do it. You can't compromise and compromise and compromise and stand firm. The word stand firm is a military term. It is used of soldiers standing together and holding their ground, refusing to budge even one inch from their post, even should it cost their lives. That's what it means to stand firm. 
The ground of our citizenship and our salvation is gospel ground, and we must courageously stand on the gospel and for the gospel, and we do it together in the power of the one Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not confused about the gospel, and neither should we be. The only way for us to hold the line in a world that doesn't want any lines is through the strength of the Spirit. How do we have the strength of the Spirit in our church? It means we pray with a wartime mentality. It means we remember that we are soldiers of the cross and we are in a battle. John Piper once said this, prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. Think about that. Do you use prayer in this way? Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom for ringing up the butler to change the thermostat. It is a wartime walkie-talkie to call in firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. But the Spirit of God is greater than our enemy, and if we'll stand in Him, we can stand. To stand firm is a command given to the entire church. To stand firm in the Spirit, we've got to pray for one another to be filled with the Spirit to endure trials and to be sanctified by them. To stand firm in the Spirit, we have to do the things that God has given us to do which promote the unity of the church in the one Spirit. We should regularly participate in worship with the entire congregation if we're going to stand firm in the Spirit. We should bring our Spirit-inspired Bibles, open them, and expect the Spirit to work in us as we do. We should pray at all times in the Spirit, who at all times seeks to glorify King Jesus and guides us and intercedes for us even when we don't know what to pray, when we're overwhelmed by trials that we're facing. We've got to stand firm in the Spirit. Beloved, it's, it's not our brand or our swag that will keep us standing firm in the Spirit for the gospel. It's not, our, un, uh, it's not even a nice new secure space for our kids as much as I believe that's going to be a great addition to our facility. It's not that that will keep us standing together for the gospel. It's not our age. It's not the shade of our skin. It's not our zip code or our tax bracket that will keep us standing together for the gospel. Our only hope of standing firm is our common experience of the one Holy Spirit who unites us with the one King Jesus who has saved us in the hearing of the one true gospel. To conduct ourselves as heaven's citizens, we've got to stand firm in the Spirit. For as Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We've been enlisted by King Jesus. He is our commander-in-chief, and we will stand firm in one spirit for the gospel walking worthy of it. That's number one. Number two, if we're going to walk worthy of the gospel, not only do we stand firm in the one spirit, what else do we do to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? Do you see it at the end of verse 27? We must strive as one man for the faith of the gospel. We must strive as one man for the faith of the gospel. Paul's sequence here is not accidental. First, standing, then striving. Now, we do them simultaneously But if we neglect to stand, then our striving is pointless. If you don't stand on the truth of God's word, if you don't stand on the truth of the gospel, then you don't have anything to strive for. 
to strive for the faith of the gospel, we've got to stand firm in the gospel. And to advance the gospel, we must never assume it. Rather, we must strive or contend for it constantly. So let me make sure you're connecting the dots. Hey, if you're in Jesus, you're a citizen. And if you're in Jesus, you're not just a citizen of America, you're a citizen of the everlasting kingdom of God. And if you've been made a citizen of the everlasting kingdom of God, you've got some responsibilities in that kingdom. You've got to live worthy of the gospel. And if you're going to live worthy of the gospel, here's two big ways that you've got to do it. They hang together at all times. First, you've got to stand in the Spirit if you're going to walk worthy of the gospel. And the next thing you've got to do, and that, by the way, that's together. That's not you solo individual out there doing your own thing. You stand with the body together in the one gospel. Y'all, y'all connecting the dots here? And then secondly, you've got to strive. You've got to contend. You've got to fight for the gospel. At the end of verse 27, the verb is, is striving side by side. It's together striving. The word striving was used of athletic competition. But we don't strive solo. We strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel. For the gospel to be the passion and the conviction of our lives as we face trials. For it to advance through us and into the world around us even when it is difficult. And it will be difficult. As I've said before, if you've never faced opposition for the sake of the gospel, you might ask yourself, are you living for the sake of the gospel? I appreciate what Silva writes here. Christian, satisf- Christian sanctification cannot be reduced to an individualistic exercise. The struggles of the Christian citizen must be met with the fellowship of the believing community. Dear believer, if you've been trying to live for Christ out on an island and you've learned that you're always going to struggle there, you're welcome here. We welcome you to the family. If, you, if you've been out there and maybe you came to Saving Faith when you were young and then you drifted away, but you know God is calling you to live worthy of the gospel, live worthy of the gospel right here. You need a family and a team to do it with. Marita and Chan add this. In sports, each person must do his or her part. you got to have the whole team contributing So it is with the church. We advance the gospel side by side, working, contending, laboring together. Now what's interesting is Paul also says that this striving is to be done with one mind. Now what's interesting is the Greek does not have the word mind here. It simply says with one. Striving together with one. Well, with one what? The English Standard Version supplies the word mind. Other translations say with one soul. My preferred translation is this, as one man or as one person. It's not just that we're mentally connected. The idea is that we're connected in in every way. That, That God so supernaturally transforms us and makes us into a unit that we are we are all on board and all together. This is how the church is to function. We are to look like Jesus in the world, and Jesus was never a double-minded or divided-minded man. We're to have unity and coordination in our striving for the faith of the gospel. The advance of the gospel is a team sport where all the players on the team know the game plan, and they know the reason they're playing the game. 
We, we contend or strive for the faith of the gospel. Now, this could mean either the faith that comes about when sinners hear the gospel and are saved. That, that could be the faith of the gospel. We strive for the faith that comes about when people hear the gospel and are saved through faith. Or it, it could mean the body of unchanging beliefs about ourselves and the world and about God and Christ that is conveyed in the gospel. Do you get the difference? Is that making sense? The faith of the gospel. It could be the faith that people have when they hear the gospel, or it could be the, the body of doctrine and of belief that is conveyed and contained in the gospel. And here's the question, which one is it? And I think the answer is yes. I, I think Paul is intentionally ambiguous here. It's both. We strive together for doctrinal faithfulness. We see that in Jude chapter 3. The, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. The faith doesn't change. The implications of faith don't change. They're the same 2,000 years later as they were in the first century. We strive together for doctrinal faithfulness because any gospel that is not doctrinally faithful will not lead to saving faith. If you preach a false gospel, then you get false faith. And false faith doesn't save, it damns. It doesn't do anybody any good. So we've got to contend for the faith, the doctrine, the beliefs of the gospel in order to remain effective as the church of Christ. And yet we also contend, do we not, that people would believe on Christ? We labor that people would know Christ, that they would commune with Christ, that their sins would be forgiven by Christ, that they would have an identity in Christ, that they would stand before a holy God on the day of judgment, vindicated because of Christ. We long for the faith of the gospel to be made true in individual lives, that they would be incorporated into this church that now strives in one spirit and stands firm together contending for the gospel. So what should we do? North Roanoke Baptist Church, with Paul's command to live as citizens worthy of the gospel. I think we have some implications this morning. First, I think we need to remember that we're in a battle. Every single one of us is in a battle. Our church is in a battle. We are in a... If, <laughs> I had somebody ask me one time, why is church so hard sometimes? Like, I mean, it's easier at my work than it is at church. I mean, Satan doesn't care if you make widgets all day that, that work. Right? He doesn't want us to be effective. Where, where do you think the, the primary emphasis of attack is in the world? Is it not against Christians and churches that are trying to be faithful to the gospel? Yes, it is. We've got to stand firm. We've got to recognize there will be assault we are in a battle to live out the gospel and its implications in our lives and in our church as perfectly revealed in God's word. And we are also in a battle to speak and to share and to live the gospel even in the face of adversity and trial and opposition, however it comes, whether it comes from our government or our workplace or our HR office. Every time we're going we're gonna to go speak, there's going to be opposition. And we've got to embrace the truth that we've been remade in Christ to engage the battle as a team, with a team, the local church. Marita and Chan say this, don't be a secret agent, a little ninja running off by yourself. Be a part of the unit 
be part of the team. And some of you this morning need to get on a team. Then he writes this, pray, give, go, encourage, invest, and support. Be a soldier and do it in the power of Christ. To be citizens of heaven, living worthy of the gospel, we've got to stand in one spirit, the Holy Spirit. We've got to strive together as one for the faith of the gospel. May God in heaven give us courage and the strength of conviction and the unity of the Spirit, which comes through obedience to His Word as we strive to make much of our King. May we conduct ourselves as citizens of Christ's kingdom, walking worthy of the gospel. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, we give you praise for your word. We give you praise for your spirit who has united us with Christ and given us a hope beyond the grave and a citizenship that is active right now. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be teammates. We thank you for the opportunity to be united through the Spirit in your church for the advance of your gospel. And we pray, God, that you would maintain our resolve. God, maintain our resolve to be doctrinally faithful. And God, that you would motivate us to to open our mouths to share the wonderful truth that sinners can be saved and to rely on you to do the rest. God, we we need you and we thank you for making us citizens of a kingdom that endures forever. And we worship you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.